Revelation 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. May the Lord add his richest blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. As we stated in our prayer, I cannot imagine what it must have been like for the Apostle John, stuck on the Isle of Patmos. Six days out of the week, he's probably actually breaking rocks like many political prisoners did who were marooned on this small island. But on the Lord's day, he begins to have this vision that is given to him. And it's not the vision of John the divine. It's the vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. Out of all the trials, we heard about them this morning from the book of James in the the Sunday Bible class. And it doesn't matter whether you are poor or whether you are rich. At the end of the day, we have to understand that all belongs to the Lord. And one of the encouragements that we can have that I want to give you as an encouragement this morning is this. Regardless of what you see in the book of Revelation, regardless of all of the difficult things that we read there, despite all of the things that sometimes just seem indecipherable, despite all of that, one thing we have to remember overall is that God is in control. God is sovereignly in charge. Now, there are many books, there are many commentaries, there are, down through the years, many have written one thing versus another, and we're not here to debate those points, but we are here to encourage you, and as we see what God has done, first of all, with this group of people that have been selected from every tribe, knowing again that at the end of the day, when we stand in eternity, there will not be one missing from heaven that is not supposed to be there. Everybody who is supposed to be in heaven and our responsibility is to be able to share the truth of God's word that whosoever will may come. 
This is why we share the gospel message. In every message that we share, we try to let you know, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, you say, how can I know? The Bible says, come and drink of the water freely. It really is that simple. Whosoever comes by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will, Romans chapter 10, verse 13, will be saved. How is this possible? That with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. You come to a point where the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sin and you recognize that apart from Jesus Christ, there is absolutely no way that you can get into heaven. And when we come to that point, the Holy Spirit convicting us of our sins, he brings us to the point where we are brought to where we will confess our sins. We will acknowledge what God already knows about us in the deepest recesses of our heart and realize that our God set his eternal love upon us. And again, he says, whosoever will may come. You see, that's the wonder of salvation. I was talking with some people this last week of several different denominational stripes. And it was interesting. I had one person come and meet me here at my office. They called me up and said, hey, can I come and meet you? And I said, yes. So they came and met and they were telling me that they had been born into such and such a denomination or that they were born a whatever it was, fill in the blank. And I said, you know, it's interesting that to be a Baptist or to be a true Christian, you're not born a Christian. You're not born a Baptist. You actually have to come to the point in your life where you recognize the Lord Jesus Christ and when you come by faith to him, he makes you a brand new creation. You see, you can be born into a lot of denominations. You can be born into a lot of churches. There are a lot of people, maybe you're here this morning and you were sprinkled as a baby. That doesn't make you a Christian any more than attending church does or being a pastor, or being a deacon, or being a teacher, or cleaning the church, or giving to the offering. None of those things can bring you one step closer to Jesus Christ. As we go through this book, though, in Revelation, one of the things that encourages me greatly is I read each one of these chapters, and I have gone through this a number of times. It is this. It seems like every so often, we first of all, we begin with the vision that the Lord or that John has of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we went through chapter one, we saw the grandeur of the Lamb of God. And then we quickly go into chapter two and chapter three, and there were some awful churches. But you know, one of the things that has always amazed me was why there were only seven letters. I mean, there were a multitude of churches that had actually been established in the first century, especially by the end of the first century. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but some of the churches that had actually been established based on biblical doctrine had already closed down permanently. Less than 60 years after the Lord Jesus Christ came. That's the sad part of church history. And yet through all of the things, these different churches, some of them were good, some of them had some things that were not so good, and some of them Jesus didn't have anything good to say about. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, where do we find ourselves in that mix? I believe that there are some maybe in every congregation that maybe some of us represent Ephesus, some of us represent Laodicea, some of us represent Philadelphia. 
I encourage you, if you want to hear those messages, to go onto our website, to go to Sermon Audio, where you will find those messages on those churches. But here we find another pause or another break. You see, at the end of chapter 6, this is what we concluded with in our previous message. Revelation 6, 16 to 17. We concluded with the world's inhabitants saying this, They called out to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? What in the world is happening? You see, this is a very difficult time for the world. And as John's sitting there on the Isle of Patmos, he is writing this, it's almost like God gives him a little bit of a break from the horror that is taking place on this earth. There is a clear pause or or a calm in the action that takes place after the opening of the sixth seal. And it is at the opening of this seal a great cosmic disturbance has alerted the entire universe to the pending wrath that was prophesied in at least five Old Testament books by the Apostle John, by the Apostle Paul, as well as by the Lord in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. Now, how this may happen certainly is unknown. But the Bible is clear that the sun will be blackened, the moon will turn to blood, and stars will fall from the skies. Now, over the last week, we have, there have actually been, um, in fact, some of you may have seen it, uh, I think it was on Friday night, the, it seemed like the planets had all lined up in the sky. Did anybody actually see that? Okay. It was a unique phenomenon. I don't think we've been told exactly what it was. Maybe it was seven balloons in a row. Who knows? But there was something that was going on in the sky. Okay? But whatever happens in chapter 6, the Bible is very clear. People are not going to be concerned about the sun going black. They're not going to be concerned about the moon being turned to blood or the stars falling from the skies. What they're going to be concerned about is that the wrath of the Lamb is getting ready to be poured out. In 1970, the Bola cyclone came ashore in Bangladesh in eastern India, or what would become Bangladesh, in 1971. Like with other hurricanes and tsunamis, the water from the Bay of Bengal first surged back out to sea, and then a 33-foot high wave roared into the low-lying delta and killed up to 500,000 people in just three minutes. Those in the area had no warning of what was about to happen. The calm before the storm was deceiving. And it caused the loss of more lives. How many of you remember here recently where the Tampa Bay actually emptied? Anybody remember that? Seeing that people were actually walking on the ground out in the bay until they were warned that the water is going to come back in? The phrase, the calm before the storm, is a phrase that is defined as, quote, a quiet or peaceful period before a period during which there is a great activity, argument, or difficulty. At this point in human history, there will be no more doubters. 
All the foolish words of the world will pale into insignificance as even the celestial bodies do the bidding of their Creator. These celestial bodies will do what they are told in order to be able to show forth to the world that our God reigns. And He is fully supreme over all things and all people. If you have noticed on the, on the bulletin, uh, when we put the online notices on on Sunday morning, you'll see a, a screenshot there of the Sovereignty of God conference. That is what I think of. I think the picture of the universe really is, is too small a picture, is too small an area to actually point out the grandeur of our God. I believe it was Jonathan Edwards who said that too often the problem that we have in Christianity, biblical Christianity, is we have too small a view of God and too high a view of ourself. John has seen so much destruction up to this point in his vision that it's like he is being shown a scene in heaven to give his readers and himself a mental break from the anguish befallen the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've been watching the news this last week, in fact, the, 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 the miracles never stop happening. In fact, right before service started this morning, or right before Sunday school, I actually went on to the BBC News because they seem to report very well about the events that are taking place. And there was a miracle of another family that was discovered alive in one of the buildings over there in Turkey. But you know what's painful? is watching all the bodies that they're taking out. Knowing that these families have absolutely nothing left anymore. They have no home. They have All of their family members have been destroyed in this earthquake. And there are many of them in every one of these videos, in fact, that I have seen so far. They all say the same thing. Inshallah. Inshallah. Which means, if God wills. And yet, what about us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, that we would take a page from those who don't believe in the one true God. Here's a group of Muslim people who, who are saying, if, the, if God wills, this is what will happen. This will take place. James, in fact, tells us, and we're going to look at this later on as Dad continues the series. The Bible says, you say you're going to do this or you're going to do that, but what you ought to be saying is, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Here's a group of people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ in any way whatsoever, and they are attributing this understanding that it is a God that is beyond their reach, who is brought this destruction upon them. If God wills, if Allah wills, we will accept this as our fate. And we go out in the morning, have a flat tire, and the first thing we want to do is say something bad against God. How sad. This interlude that we find here, it's but the calm before the storm of God's wrath that I believe will ravish the world in all of its inhabitants. In the middle of the carnage, John sees that the wrath of God will not be poured out upon all. In his providence and in his divine election, he has sovereignly chosen some to salvation and to protection. And here in your notes, we have the sealing of the 144,000. Listen to Paul's words to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1. 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. I love reading Ephesians. The personal pronouns that are addressed to God in this passage are just amazing to me. Because there's one thing that's absent, and that's Mark Escalera. If we were to read the book of Romans, for example, and it said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What if it said, if Mark shall call upon the name of the Lord, he will be saved. Which Mark is he talking about? Is he talking about a Mark that lived 500 years ago? A Mark that will live 500 years from now? No, he says, whosoever will may come. In this we find again, listen to these pronouns, even as he chose us in him before the foundation, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined for adoption to himself according to the purpose of his will. Now I want to address the elephant in the room with the, in regards to the news that has taken place. You see, we as Christians, we come and we find ourselves at a crossroads Oftentimes, because of our theology, either our theology is going to carry us through each and every day or we're going to allow our emotions, we're going to let our feelings take over. Here's the problem. When you go through whatever it is, start on a small scale and look at what this, what you're going through and say, is God still in charge? Did he allow this to take place in my life? And we come to the solution, either yes, he did or God is not in control. And then we move up to something bigger until we get to the point where we have a earth, an earthquake that has taken place not because God is the author of sin, but because we live in a sin-cursed world because of Adam and Eve. And this world longs to be released. The earth itself longs to be released from the pains like a woman going through the pains of childbirth. It wishes to be released. And we have to ask ourselves, did God allow this? Did God allow that? Where was God in all of these things? Do you remember the questions that were being asked? It was even on the front pages of newspapers on 9-11. That day there were only, and I don't mean this in a flippant manner, but there were only 3,000 that went out into eternity from those terrorist attacks. That same week there were 1.2 million people that died around the world. Nobody said a word about them. You see, if you can't trust that God is in control of everything that is going on in your life and he allows these things, how in the world can we trust him with our eternity? One of the things that Dad mentioned at the last, very last few, I, I can't remember the last slide that you had, but it was something about eternity. Are we preparing for eternity? Too often we hear about the sovereignty of God in the matter of salvation and, and our very flesh wants to rebel because this seems to make God to be unfair. Yet the Old Testament and New Testament makes it clear that God does choose whom he will and leaves others to be left to their own destruction. You say, what do we have to do in order to be found not worthy of God's mercy and his grace? Simply reject Jesus. 
You see, all of the sins, all the things that are taking place, if a person is a drunkard, if the person is a bank robber, if they're whatever's going on in your life, if all you ever do is tell a lie, the question is, does that person still deserve eternal damnation? And the answer is, according to the Word of God, yes. How many times do you have to do those things in order to be worthy of hell? The Bible says that you and I are born with a sin nature. You and I deserve what God is going to hand out to this world. The fact that we live here in America, we are so blessed. You can turn on the radio on any given day. You can go onto the internet any given day. You can go onto some TV channels any given day and you can hear the truth of God's word. And yet there are some people who are sitting and maybe you're one of them this morning. You're sitting here in the sound of my voice or the sound of preaching that you have heard year after year, week after week, month after month. And you're going to stand before God and God is going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. can't imagine the horror that must be welling up in John's heart and his mind and maybe even in his stomach as he realizes the death and destruction that is going to be taking place. But then in the middle of this, John is given the privilege of seeing the choice of these Jews or these chosen who through no glory or worth of their own are sealed until the day of redemption just as all other believers in history have been and will be. We find these four angels again come into the picture. We have seen them before. Now these four angels are standing at the corners of the earth. They are holding back the winds of destruction that are about to take place. And we find in Psalm 78 verse 49, He, God, let them let them or he let loose on them his burning anger wrath and indignation and distress a company of destroying angels here's what i want you to understand this morning we cannot play games with the most high god and think that we are ever going to win ever Somebody was telling me just this last week, they were talking with a family member or a friend and, and they said when they die, they're going to go to hell and they're going to have a party with all of their family. No, you're not. You see, these angels are given the power to be able to great power, not just any kind of power, but great power to harm earth and sea. Do you remember what happened with the Assyrian army? They come and besiege Jerusalem and God sends one angel and in one night kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. That's just one angel. And the Bible says that every one of these angels are his messengers and there are tens upon tens of thousands of angels all with the same kind of power. Can you imagine what would have happened as Jesus Christ is standing there and he is getting ready to go to the cross and he says, do you not realize that I could call legions of angels? Do you know what would have happened to this earth had he done so? Nobody would have been left alive. The herald from God gives a command, Psalm 103, verse 20. Bless the Lord, or bless Yahweh, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Now there are many books I know that are written about the ministry of angels. And I would recommend to you 
a great deal of caution because there are many Christian authors who seek to elevate the study of angels to a level that is not justified by Scripture and takes away from the truth that they are but messengers of the Almighty. Now, Some of you may know what I'm talking about. I'm referring to many of the uh, fiction, works of fiction that are found within Christianity. It would be far more important to be able to spend time with God and His Word realizing who God is and that He is the one that is in control of the angels as well. We find thirdly the protection of God for Israel. The word for harm here means do not damage, do not hurt, or do not bring any kind of harm. It's actually found in Revelation chapter 2 verse 11 and it refers to suffering no violence from death. Here's the encouragement for you this morning. If you're a believer, a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and your faith is in him, as the psalmist said in the sweet psalmist, or the sweet psalmist who wrote in Psalm 23, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear what? No evil. I can walk through that valley. I can walk through the shadows that will come knowing that there is nothing I have to fear because there will be no violence from death. This is just a temporary holding tabernacle as Peter said in 2 Peter. One day this will decay. If you don't believe me, look in the mirror when you go home today. It's decaying. We're falling apart. And the problem is that we are sometimes more concerned about this and our hair, or makeup for you ladies, and spending all of this money on all kinds of things, and we're spending more money and more time taking care of that than we are worried about our souls. Lord Jesus Christ himself says, do not fear those who can destroy the body, fear the one who can destroy the soul. If you're a true believer, you have no reason to fear death. When it comes time for you to die, God will give you dying grace. Amen. It's not time for you to die. Don't pray for dying grace. He has no reason to give it to you at this point. You say, well, I'm worried. I know Brother Mike, if he was here, he would say this. He, he, he tells me all the time, probably once every couple of weeks, you know, I hate the thought of persecution. I hate the thought, I don't like being in pain. I don't like this. And he rattles off a list of all the things that he doesn't like. And I said, you know, if we go through that, God will give you the strength to be able to stand true to him at that time. We find the protection of God, they are first sealed. Listen to what one commentary says, quote, God has a particular care and concern for his own servants in times of temptation and corruption. He has a way to secure them from the common infection. He first establishes them and then he tries them. He has the timing of their trials in his own hand. Job chapter 23, when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. When the Lord Jesus Christ returns for his bride, the Bible is clear that he will come and find a bride who has made herself ready. 
We have to spend time with God. We have to love God. We have to love his word. We have to love his people. Uh, look around. If, if everybody here this morning is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is going to be a small, small, tiny, infinitesimal fraction of the innumerable host that we will one day find in heaven and we will all be worshiping together yet without sin. What a wonderful day that will be. This word for sealed here actually occurs 15 times in 14 different verses in the New Testament and 10 of them are found in Revelation alone. And it means to set a mark upon by the impress of a seal or to stamp. Essentially, these angels are stamping these individuals as being destined for eternal salvation and this is as a means to confirm their hopes. There are many people who question. We have some even within our own extended family. And they're not 100% sure that when they die that they're going to be with the Lord even though they have professed faith in Him because they're more concerned. They're, they're caught up in a false doctrine that teaches that you can lose your salvation. Yet the Bible is very clear that we can have the confidence not in ourselves, not in one another, the confidence that we have in God that He's the one that preserves us, He's the one that keeps us, He's the one that sanctifies us, and He is one day the one who will glorify us. We find in this group there are 12,000 from each one of the tribes. It is interesting that in this, tri or in this list, the tribe of Dan is not, or is, has been omitted. It's not found here. And it may be because they were greatly addicted to idolatry. The order of the tribes has also been altered, perhaps according as they have been more or less faithful to God. Throughout the Old Testament narrative, the tribe of Dan is often found walking into idolatry. While the fashioning of the items for the tabernacle were given to Dan, it would be this gift that would later be their downfall. It always amazes me as I go through the Old Testament the mercy and the grace of God that he extends to people who are so undeserving. And you know, it only took one generation for them to walk away from God. Just one. Thirdly, these Jews who are sealed and maybe this is something different maybe than what you have ever heard. And as I have studied, this was one of the areas that I, in preparing for this down to the last several months, uh, I have tried to read a number of commentaries and I've read for and against and, and, and this side and that side. But one of the things that I don't see with these is that these are not evangelists. They're not evangelists delivering the good news of the gospel. There is nothing either here or in Revelation chapter 14, the only two places that mention the 144,000, to indicate that God uses these Jews to broadcast the gospel. And it is imperative that we do not use the silence of Scripture to try and make it fit a narrative that we like or that we want to take place. I believe that to say that these are evangelists would be to try to justify teachings within the church and that the church will not be present in some way, but here's part of the problem here. 
If these are evangelists, then there's no other way that the gospel is being proclaimed during this time frame because the church is gone. This means that there is no gospel witness for the better part of four to five years of the tribulation period. Now, why is this important? God down through time, especially during the church age, God has always had a people for himself. There have always been people who God has set his love upon who have kept the truth of the gospel, who have shared the truth with other people. We do not know exactly. I don't believe anybody is very clear. There are some, as I have said, a number of different commentaries. You can read 12 different commentaries and there will be 12 different views on this perspective. What is important, though, again, is that God makes it possible for these for these Jews to be saved. If you remember, we talked about this from the book of Zechariah, where there will be two-thirds of every Jew will be dead at the start of the tribulation because they will be killed. It will be worse than the first holocaust of World War II. We want to try to wrap this up this morning by looking at an innumerable host, number two. This is found in verse 9. After this, I looked and saw a great multitude. This last week, my dad was sharing with me a video from Heart Cry Missionary Society. It's called Great, great Mercy. If you're on Facebook and you're, uh, if you're following the church Facebook page, I would highly encourage you to watch it. It's about 35, just under 35 minutes. And it is heartbreaking to see what God is doing it's encouraging, but it's also very emotional to see what God is doing in South Africa. You see, all around the world, one of the reasons why we support missions, we say it at the beginning of, of every... Let's see if I can find my notes here. There we go. Because Christ died for our sins, we spread the good news in missions. You see, there will be people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation who will be gathered around the throne. We can rejoice in that. There are going to be people, there are people right now all over the world who are different skin color. There are people who don't speak English. There are churches that are in existence right now that nobody knows but God. But God continues to build His kingdom. The elect of God will come as we saw in Revelation chapter 5 from all quarters of the globe and each will be present solely because of the sovereign grace and mercy of God. They will stand before the Lamb and before the Father. There is no fear with these believers. When we stand before God and we are worshiping Him, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, we will stand without sin before the triune God of heaven. This innumerable host that is here, they will be clothed in white robes. And the word here means to be arrayed in like a city that is completely surrounded by a palisade. Can you imagine what it would be like if you and I get to heaven and we find that one of our sins has not been forgiven? Which sin would you want to be portrayed on the screens of heaven? I wouldn't want any of them. 
not recognizing that the Lord Jesus Christ had to die for those sins. And when we stand before him, the word here again, like a city that is completely surrounded like a, like a fortress. Anybody here ever been to Europe, seen a castle? Germany or England, go, go to Italy, a number of those places. And there's normally a great big wall that surrounds and, and, and sought to keep protection or protect the people who are living there. And the people in the villages during times of war would come into the castle and the castle gates would be shut. That is the way the Lord Jesus Christ treats you this morning if you're a true believer. You are surrounded, protected from the darts of the evil one. So that you never have to fear the penalty of sin anymore. That you never have to succumb to the power of that sin. And one day you will be free from the presence of that sin Amen. as well. These saints who are clothed in white robes, they are surrounded not just by the love, but the mercy and the providence, the electing power of God, like a city that is protected down here on earth. When we get to heaven, there won't be one person who will be able to say, in fact, I've asked the question before, maybe you've heard it, I'll ask it again today. If you were to stand before God today, if you don't make it home for lunch, isn't today Super Bowl Sunday? Yeah, if you don't get to see the Super Bowl one more time, you won't have missed anything. But if you don't get to see the Super Bowl and this week we're putting together or your family's putting together your funeral and you are standing before God and God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? If your answer starts with I or in the first person, you won't be allowed into heaven. The only answer that you can rightfully give is because of Jesus Christ because of what he did. I don't deserve to be here, but I am clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood atoned for my sin. And when God the Father sees me, he sees Jesus Christ. These saints now are waving palm branches. What a big difference from just 2,000 years ago when they're all waving palm branches and hail to the king of the Jews and two days later they're saying crucify him. And the irony of all of this is after he comes in on his triumphal entry into Jerusalem at the first advent, we're all standing around the throne because he was crucified. Finally this morning, the praise of the saints. Verse 10, salvation, let's read the verse again, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We find firstly the salvation of God, it belongs to him. This simply means that he and he alone owns the rights to establish the rules pertaining to salvation. Do you remember John fourteen six? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. Jonah chapter 2, Jonah is in the belly of the whale and he says in verse 9, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. 
secondly, the sovereignty of God. We find a God who is seated on his throne. Psalm 115 verse 3, our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar, the wicked heathen king of Babylon, he said, all the inhabitants of the earth are as counted as nothing. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? You see, as I read this passage in Revelation chapter 7, and I see not just the selection or the choice of these 144,000, but I see this innumerable host. And I wonder, God, how could you be so gracious to so many people? How could you be willing to extend your love after what we did to your son, Jesus Christ? We're going to look at that next week, Lord willing, when we ponder and see what it means when Jesus takes away all sin, when everything is gone, when there won't even be any tears in heaven. We will stand with our robes washed. As he says, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb in verse 14. But we not only have the salvation of God, the sovereignty of God here, but in this one verse we have the sacrifice of God and that is the Lamb. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 says, But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or without spot. There are a lot of things that you and I can be embarrassed about. But one of them is not that we are a bloody religion. If it wasn't for the shedding of blood, you and I would have no remission of sins and we would just be wasting our time this morning. We would have no hope. But because the Lord Jesus Christ did come, and as John points him out, John the Baptist points him out coming across the hills of Judea and he walks down to the Jordan River and he points him out and he says, Behold, as the forerunner, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You talk about a time for rejoicing. John didn't even get to see it. Can you imagine Simeon in the temple? Anna the widow, having been a widow for 84 years, been worshiping in the temple day after day, every baby that comes in, Lord, is this the one? And finally, Jesus, Emmanuel, is brought in on the eighth day and she holds that baby just as Simeon does and says, Lord, I have seen your salvation. Now let your servant depart in peace. Wow. Wow. See, that's the true Christmas story. The vision of the Lord Jesus Christ and what John hears taking place in heaven was a glorious reminder to him of who is in charge. God has not allowed any others to usurp his throne or his rule. And in choosing these 144,000 saints to himself, he reminds John that not one person will be left outside the fold. 
those who have the eternal love of the Father set upon them in the Lamb, set upon them by the Holy Spirit, will indeed be saved. And again, as we began, we end. How is all of this possible? Because Jesus Christ alone is worthy. He is worthy of our praise. He calls us to worship Him. But if you think that you can play games with God and you can wait until it's too late, you will be too late. Because the Bible is clear that today is the day of salvation. We are, I don't know what brought it up again, but Dad even showed a picture in the Sunday school class. Have you ever seen a U-Haul going into a cemetery? Well, in all of my years as a funeral director, I actually did twice. One guy came in and bought about 12 or 13, 14 plots so that he could be buried in his 1960-something Corvette Stingray. And that's exactly how they buried him 30 days later when he died. But you know what? He didn't take that car with him. Didn't take any money with him. He didn't even own the clothes that were on his body. And if you think this morning that you can play games with God, you're going to be in for a rude awakening. Whether you're a believer, if you're not a believer here this morning, I beg with you, I plead with you, you have no guarantee of tomorrow. You don't even have a guarantee that you're going to finish today. For those who are true believers, though, be encouraged that our God is still in control. Our God still reigns. Our God is still awesome. Our God will not usurp, allow somebody to usurp his throne. And one day our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, will return for you and I. And regardless of what it happens, when it happens, how it happens, isn't important. We're not going to be concerned about the details. We're just going to be able to see Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I cannot imagine what the early New Testament church must have thought about when John sent this letter to the seven churches and it was as it was going around and they read of the death and the destruction. This is an area that is prone to earthquakes. They would have all known what that was like. And yet as they read these words, they would have been words of encouragement knowing that God is still in control. Knowing that those whom he sets his love upon will persevere till the end. And I am thankful that it is not up to my faithfulness. I am thankful that it is not up to the faithfulness of anybody here that we will be in heaven, but it will be the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who called us who also will do it. He who began a good work in us will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. May we go from here today with that being our heart's cry. When the evil one seeks to get into our minds and lay guilt and shame upon us for sins that we have already confessed, that have been forgiven, that have been blotted out by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, May we look to the Lamb of God, realizing that we are surrounded, we are sealed, 
we are covered by his blood. It is his righteousness that surrounds us. Thank you, Father, for the words of Revelation 7. I pray that we have been faithful to your word this morning. I know there are so many different viewpoints on different aspects of Revelation. But the biggest concern I have is that I have pointed to Jesus Christ this morning. We ask this in the name of the only begotten Son of God, who loved us enough that he was willing to come and die so that the wrath of God would be covered so that we wouldn't have to worry about any condemnation. And if there are any this morning who do not know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation and we implore with them, we beg of your Holy Spirit that you would convict them of their sin, that they would be willing to come, confess their sins before you, and that they would know that they would have eternal life. Thank you for the time today for those who are here. As we stand together, I would like you to contemplate the words that have been given, the hymns that we have sung as we read the benediction today. If you will please stand and we are going to read the benediction from Romans chapter 16 today. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. And together all God's people said, Amen. Amen.